In Psalm 90, Moses prays out to God, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. In the context of that psalm, the picture is is that in light of our eternal God, in light of the greatness of who he is, we need to be prepared with the few number of days that we have. But when we think about it, there is a lot of power and a lot of change and transformation that can be experienced in a day. One day. Some of you have had a day that now is still significantly impacting your life. One day. And as Moses challenges us to teach us to number our days, be mindful. He didn't tell us that we could number our weeks, months, and years, but our days. Every day has with it opportunity. Every day has with it opportunities to be a blessing to others, to take advantage and to seize the moment that we have, to live that day in light of eternity. As we think of Paul as he's beginning to wind the book of Colossians down, he challenges us to redeem the time and he calls us in our days that we have to be people of prayer, to live wisely, and be careful how you speak. So with that this morning, take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to pick up today in verse number 2. Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to pick up in verse number 2. Talking about moving forward. Moving forward in our life. We've seen that we've been called to put off the old man, put on the new. Now, let's move forward. Paul is challenging us. And I think through this passage gives us something very applicable for all of us. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 2. Continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. And with that, let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and speak to us with the the simple and yet profoundly applicable challenges that you have for us today. In your name, amen. Paul is coming to the end of the book of Colossians. We're going to find that as we pick up in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 7, he's going to be sending words of greeting and affirmation and pointing out specific individuals. So this is really that last section of the book of Colossians where he's challenging us to on on how to live. Remember, the first two chapters of Colossians are primarily doctrinal, and chapters 3 and 4 deal with the application. He challenges us in Colossians 3, 1, that if we've been raised with Christ, that we are to seek the 
the things that are above. And in verse number two of Colossians three, he says, set your mind on things above. Now he's calling us to live in light of God above. That we are to live in such a way in which he would be pleased with our life. And Paul, as he shares these last words to this church at Colossae, lays out three challenges for them that I think are absolutely applicable to us today. First challenge I think that Paul lays out to the church at Colossae is this, that they need to pray earnestly. He he, he begins verse number two and, and challenges them to continue earnestly in prayer. Continue. It's something that was already part of their life and should be part of all of our lives. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, said, and, and as you pray, it is, this is considered part of our life, being men and women of prayer, speaking to the Lord. Continue. Then he says, continue earnestly. There's a sense of fervency and passion in our prayer. There's a fire that comes with that. There's this, this overwhelming thought that I'm not just, you know, having a conversation with my neighbor and my good buddy here, but this is the God of the universe. This is the eternal creator who is infinite over all the world and over all the vast universe in which we live. He knows and sees all the six billion plus people in our world, and yet takes the time to listen to me individually. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant. That word vigilant gives the picture of watching, being awake, being alive, being mindful of what's going on around you. As we think of this challenge of praying earnestly, I think there's three realms in which we pray. First off, we pray for ourselves, So that as believers, when we begin to pray and when we think about pray, prayer, pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Did you know there's only one person in this whole wide world that you have the ability to control? And that is you. That's you. Now, as I think about our church, and I think about the, the membership of the church, there's one very challenging and most difficult member of our church that I have to deal with. Everybody on this side looks over and says, I think it's John McDougal. You know? I No, no, no. <laughs> it is not John McDougal. <laughs> He is in the top, but I mean, he's, he's not the... <laughs> the picture is the most challenging person I have to deal with is me. The, the most challenging person in our life is us. We're the ones that can be impatient and unfocused. That, that, that we're the ones that, that can be negative at times and critical. So there's the picture of continue earnestly in prayer. Pray for yourself. Are you praying for yourself? I think that you should. Because you're the most challenging person in your life. And you need prayer. Secondly, not only pray for yourself, but pray for others. Pray for others. Paul, in in verse number three, says, uh, meanwhile, pray for us. 
pray for us. Can you imagine the apostle Paul? We think of him, man, he's the one who got uh, swept up into the third heaven, who, who got to experience the person of Jesus in such a unique way in salvation and through teaching. And Paul says, I need you to pray for me. You know, if Paul needed some people to pray for him, then we all need some people that will pray for us, but we all need to be praying for some other people as well. It's interesting as Paul lays out his prayer requests, he didn't write, you know, I'm in prison. You know, the food's not good here. You know, I don't get proper health care and uh, my finances are really taking a hit while I'm, you know, under house arrest. What does he pray? Pray for me that I can speak the mysteries of God. And he slides down into verse four that that I can make the, the mysteries of God manifest, that people will hear the truth of the gospel and they'll have their eyes open to the truth of who Jesus is so that they can be saved. I find Paul's prayer request amazing in, in, in light of, of how I would probably have asked for prayer. But Paul, though he is a prisoner, is a witness. And as a prisoner and as a witness, he prays that he would speak the mysteries of God and make the truth of God's word manifest to others that he came into contact with. Now, pray for others. I think we should pray for people's physical needs. I think that we should pray over people when they are sick. But I, I think that we should profoundly be thinking about the spiritual lives of others as we pray over them. That's what Paul's emphasis was. Intercessory prayer is one of the most selfless uh, acts that we can do for others. It's often unseen. It's it's often in private. And yet it gives us the opportunity to go before the throne of God with someone else on our heart. One of the things that we have here is a prayer ministry. So that many of you, if you walk out of these front doors right to the left, there's there's a steel door and that is our prayer room. And people spend hours in there every week praying, making intercession for others. That might be something that God speaks to you about and says, I I need to be doing that. One hour a week. As we think Paul challenges them not only to pray and continue earnestly in prayer, but to pray for him, praying for us. But then notice as Paul wrote to them that he told them to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. Then notice what he says at the end of verse number two, with thanksgiving. Our prayer should be with thanksgiving. Praying with thanksgiving keeps us from just saying, God, oh, here's my list. These are all the things that I have for me. These are all the things that I have for my friends. And and, and Lord, just take care of everything. Instead, he goes, uh, pray with thanksgiving. Pray with a heart that recognizes who God is, the greatness of who he is, and, and reminds us of what God has done. Think of all the things that God has carried you through in your life that you could be here right now. For some of you, 
you would look back at your life and you would think, man, I could have, I could have lost it there. I could have died there. I could have gotten off track there. And why are you here? Because we have a great, kind, merciful, strong, faithful God. And now you need to be a man or woman who recognizes him and be thankful. Aren't you thankful that someone shared the gospel with you? Aren't you thankful that you have the word of God? Aren't you thankful that you can come to a church and hear God's word uh, shared, that you can have fellowship with others? Aren't you thankful that you have health today? Aren't you thankful for so many things in your life? I was, uh, you know, caught up watching news and, and on Twitter Friday night a little bit, and Saturday I, I you know, I just... Everything is just kind of yuck in our world right now. And I, I was looking at this passage early in, in the morning yesterday, and, and the song, Count Your Blessings, just kind of began to resonate in my heart. When upon life's billows, you are tempest-tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings. What was the last time we thought, instead of going to God with a list, I'm just going to go with praise and thanksgiving. I'm just going to go with a heart that says, Lord, you have been so good, so faithful, so kind. You led me through this. You took care of this. You showed yourself faithful here. Lord, you brought this person into my life. Lord, you, you allowed us to experience. When was the last time we just got before God and we're thankful? Don't wait until your health goes away to be thankful for what you had. Be thankful for it now. Don't, don't wait until, till your days are, are numbered to look back and say, wow, look at all the great things God did. Do it today. Tell him thank you today. Pray earnestly. Now think about this, this aspect of thanksgiving because Paul echoes this all throughout the book of Colossians. Take your Bibles back if you're in Colossians uh, chapter 4. Look back in Colossians chapter 2. Pick up with me in, in verse number 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you were taught. And then notice what he says, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Notice over in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Notice the next verse. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and understanding. And then notice what he says. Uh, in, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. That word grace is the word of, of thanksgiving. Singing with thanksgiving and grace in your heart to the Lord. Then notice in verse number 17. 
And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see this theme repeated throughout the book of Colossians. You're living in a difficult day. Life is challenging. I understand the the oppressive Roman government that has me in prison. I understand the challenges of immorality and idolatry that are all around you. I understand that you are a small church in a pagan world. But he says, walk and live with thanksgiving. That's the heart. And Paul, to say that, not while life is great and he's kicked out on a beach somewhere, but to write that while he is in prison, he's under house arrest, and would say, I want you to pray. And I want you to be watchful in that prayer. But I want you to be thankful. As you pray, pray earnestly. The second challenge I think Paul gives us in this passage is not only that we are to pray earnestly, but that we are to live wisely. Notice what he says in Colossians chapter four and verse number five. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom. Notice what he says, toward those who are outside. What's he talking about? Be careful on how you walk in front of those who are outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, outside of salvation, outside of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope and peace and the experience of love. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. The picture is, is listen, church at Colossae. Listen, church in St. Charles. The world is watching. Those who are outside are watching. Walk in wisdom. Wisdom gives the picture of the application of the truth of God's word that we take God's word in and that through wisdom we're able to make this applicable in our daily life, that we're able to walk under the light of scripture and we are to walk before this world and show them that Jesus has made a difference. First, we should model Christ-like integrity that in our life, and in our dealings, and in our, our walk, we should model integrity. That people should be able to see that we are honest and gracious because of Jesus in us. People should be able to see that, that he is a, a man of his word. She keeps her word because the testimony of Jesus. Think about it. The song many years ago said, you're the only Jesus that some may ever see. And oh, how true it could be. That your life and your example is being watched by a world of outsiders to say, does Jesus on the inside really make a difference on how they live? on how they act, 
on how they speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. I have to admit, there have been times in my life where, you know, I've been in gatherings and, and, and I've heard people who, who proclaim that they know Jesus and yet they live in such a way that it, it, it would be like, Lord, this is, this is embarrassing to the name of Jesus. An old saying many years ago I heard that says this, if you talk the talk but don't walk the walk, then your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Got it? If you talk the talk, hey, I'm a Christian, but you're not walking the walk, your walk is going to talk a whole lot louder than your talk talks. That's a challenge for us in our life. That people don't only want to hear. Hey, we, aren't we quick sometimes to point out the hypocrisy in political leaders and, and uh, uh, leaders in companies and businesses who tell their, their company or their country or their constituents to do one thing and then they go off and uh, to not do something and then they go off and do it? Haven't we been critical of that? Especially during COVID. I mean, people say, you know, there have been been those who've said, man, you need to do this and not do this and not do this. And then you find out after they're telling us not, 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 then they're over here doing exactly what they've told us not to do. I can understand when lost people do that. They're outsiders. They don't have Jesus in them. It troubles me much more when Christians do that. Walk the walk as you talk the talk. Live with and model Christ-like integrity. But then, he says this, that we are to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. And then notice those last words, redeeming the time. We are to, to, to model a Christ-focused urgency. Redeeming the time. Take advantage of the time you have. Seize the opportunities. That's the picture of redeem. Grab hold of this day, this moment, this time. You don't know if you're ever going to get this opportunity. You don't know if you're ever going to be able to speak the gospel with this person. Again, take advantage of your time. Grab a hold of it. You'll be glad to know today, I am 19,319 days old. All right? That's how many days I've had to live. Moses said, number your days. So a little help from Google tells me I'm 19,319 days old. Today represents an opportunity. Take advantage of your opportunity. The truth is, is I've already hit the peak of my days. 52 years, 10 months, 22 days. I've already hit the peak. I've got more days behind me than I have in front of me right now. Some of you do too. A few of you. (laughs) 
but you never know the power of a day. Redeem your time. Seize your opportunity. That's what Paul's saying. Locked up in prison, I want to redeem my time in prison. Held somewhere where I don't want to be held, I want to redeem my time here. I'm not going to spend my days complaining. I'm not going to spend my days moaning and whining and groaning about all the injustice and the difficulty and the hardship. Instead, redeem your time. Redeem your time. Live wisely. Model this sense of Christ-like integrity and this Christ-focused urgency. We do not know how much time we have left. Thirdly, he tells them to redeem the time. And then notice what he says in verse number six. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Third, speak graciously. Speak graciously. <laughs> Such practical words. Pray earnestly. Live wisely. Speak graciously. We have all kinds of trolls on all aspects of social media who are just waiting to trash people, to be critical and to condemn. We have people that are, are sharp-tongued. And here he says, let your speech, and as you speak, let it be gracious. Are your words gracious? Do, do you show grace in your words? I read yesterday a study that said that kids hear over 400 negative words per day. Now that just seems staggering to me. I mean, if they're asleep for 10 hours or 8 hours, I mean, there's 14 to 16 hours that has 400 negative words in it? I don't know if I ever had that many words negative pointed at me in my life. There have been a few days I felt like it, maybe. But notice what Paul says. Let your speech always be with grace. So, first, speak with grace. Speak with grace. I, I know that there are times that, that uh, we have to, to uh, speak honestly, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But even the tone, even the attitude in which we speak tells a lot and shares a lot. Speaking from a dad who's been frustrated enough times and my wife has said, watch your tone. Watch your volume. I told you, I'm loud. I'm just loud. That's speak with grace. You know, the only way that we can speak with grace is to have a heart of grace. Because it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. If I'm filled with anger 
if I am holding on to bitterness, then the natural overflow of that life and those words are not going to be gracious words. Speak with grace. But notice what he says. There's some seasoning that we need to add. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. So add some salt. Add some salt. As, as we think about salt, salt's a seasoning. You, you, you taste something and you think, man, that just needs a, something a little bit more, and you throw a little salt on it, and it's like, yeah. That seasoning has, has, has made it that much better. Add some salt. Salt is a, something that, that helps it to taste better. It's, it's a seasoning, but salt is also a preservative. You realize before the days of refrigeration, I mean, it was take the meat and rub it in salt because salt would be, and be used as a preservative so that we are to speak words that are going to preserve, words that are going to han- enhance life, not destroy it and tear it down. Season it with salt. Grace, salt, but then with that, we surely have to speak the truth. We surely have to to not compromise on the things that cannot be compromised on. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Share the truth. And we have the truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We have the truth. For us as believers, we, we need to be mindful of how we serve it, how we serve and share the gospel. I mean, this is what Paul is absolutely prayed for. Now, and I, I think when he says that we're to speak gracious words, I think that, that this is a picture of, of sharing just words of kindness and grace to others. But I think it goes even further than that because Paul says, pray for us that we might make the mysteries of God known, that we can make manifest the truth of who he is. So sharing the truth comes to the point where we're seeking to share the message of the gospel. We're looking for opportunities to share the truth of the message of who Jesus is and why he came and how he provides forgiveness, grace, Mercy, eternal life. For some, I'm afraid that the the beautiful taste of the message of the gospel is lost in a graceless presentation. We speak the truth, but as Paul has told the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, we speak the truth in love. We're not seeking to win an argument. Paul is not trying to stand as the judge and jury, but as a prisoner and a witness. That's exactly what we are today. We stand as a witness before a waiting world that says, wow, does their life look any different? And do their words sound any different? 
So I have to ask us the questions. In light of everything that we've looked at in Colossians 1 and 2 and the beauty of who Jesus is and the glory of him stepping into humanity and him raising us from our spiritual death and delivering us from sin, are we seeking the things above, setting our mind on things above? But let's break it down to right where we are. Are we praying and praying earnestly? Are we living wisely? Are we speaking graciously? That's the challenge of our life. And that's the challenge that Paul leaves us with before he steps into the area of greeting and affirming others. And that's the challenge today that we say, wow, maybe I need to take a self-examination of my own spiritual life and ask myself some hard questions about how I'm praying, about how I'm living, and about how I'm speaking. With that, let's pray together. I'm going to ask you just to take the next uh, minute or so and ask yourself the hard questions. Am I praying earnestly? Am I living wisely? Redeeming the time? Am I speaking graciously? I realize sometimes the truth has to be spoken. Words of rebuke have to come. Words of reproof and correction. But even those can come from a heart of grace. Lord, the message is clear, simple, and yet, what a challenge to apply. Would you raise us up to be men and women of prayer? Men and women who live wisely before a world that's on the outside, not knowing Jesus. Lord, may we speak graciously. We know there are enemies of the gospel. We know there are those that are outside who need the gospel. And sometimes their vitriol toward those of us who know Jesus is very evident. May we be people who return a heart of grace, speech that is gracious, seasoned with salt, that we may know how to answer each person who asks. May we speak the truth lovingly but boldly, and may we point people to you. Lord, if there are 
for those like uh, like me this week who've just been challenged with that. Would you remind us of your presence? Fill us with your spirit. Call us to live on mission with you this week. Starting today. Starting now. In your name we pray. Amen.